Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to the launch of Resiliency Within. I'm so happy to be with you, with you today. Um, I am Elaine miller Karras, as was stated, and, it, and I want to start out by thanking first um, Dr. Brian Robinson, who is my first guest. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him in just a second, but he's with us now. And we're going to be doing this show a little bit differently because in the beginning, um, I'm going to be interviewing Brian. And then the second half of the show, he's going to be interviewing me. So you'll get to know a little bit about me as well. Um, I also would like to say thank you, thank you, thank you to Robert Cellino, who has been the most wonderful executive producer and all the people that have helped me um, in Voice of America to get this show off the ground today. So as we start, I want to give you a little bit of of context about what we're going to be talking about. So Resiliency Within, um, and the byline for this is how we build resilience during unprecedented times. And certainly the last week has not been easy for many of us. And for some of you, um, you may even feel like maybe it's elusive, but Resiliency Within will be amplifying the message of hope of healing and resiliency. And I have been very fortunate to travel around the world during and after natural and human-made disasters. And what I've learned that it is so important to acknowledge the pain and suffering, but also to remember what else is true. And you're gonna hear me say this a lot in the show. And what does give us hope, courage, and strength to go on? when horrible and difficult things have happened to us in life. I have to say that in the last week, um, I live in Los Angeles and I have a dear friend right now who is struggling for life. Um, Her name is Loveland and she has COVID-19 and I have two other friends, one who lost their husband and one um, who lost their father to the virus. And then all the social and political upheaval that we've had, the insurgency, And also, maybe many of you say, well, something that I did imagine that could happen. And maybe others of you are saying, it is unimaginable. Many of us have been listening to some very, um, the vitriol of the last few years and worrying that something may happen. But I think the other thing that we've been, that many of us have had to grapple with is a polarization and also distress within our family systems, that people may be at different, you know, different political persuasions and some people want to wear masks and some people don't want to wear masks. And all this has kind of made us all jumbled up. So I'm here today to say, I, don't, I believe it's important not to ignore pain and suffering. I'm not someone who's like, oh, she's toxically positive because I do think there's space to, to um, acknowledge the pain and suffering, but also to take what I call a resiliency pause. And a resiliency pause, we can integrate into the, the storms of what happens to us in life. And I want to invite you right now to start thinking about cultivating your resources. Um, So I know that during difficult times, some of you must say, well, what what has happened to me? Well, maybe when I've had difficult times in the past, maybe it was my faith, maybe it was my family, maybe it was a walk in nature, but there are things that many of us have been able to pull in and start to use in our lives that have started to make us feel differently. You're going to also hear me talk about something that's not common. I think about three portals of information that we talk about, what we think, what we feel, um, but also what we sense. And so what I'd like to invite you to do for just a few moments is to think right now, what are some of the resources of your life? What are the, who are the people or the places? Maybe some furry creatures. I've got a new puppy in my house. It certainly brings me a lot of joy. But I'm wondering if you can just think about maybe one of those things for just a moment. And as you think about one of those things, which I just did, and I took a deeper breath. I don't know if you could hear that, Brian. He's, he's here with me. Yeah, I and, could hear it. Yeah. And when that happens, I have this sense of well-being that starts to spread throughout my body. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So some of my guests, I have to tell you that I have met so many extraordinary people, some people who are 
are fairly famous and some people who are not famous, maybe within their own families and their own communities. But I've learned that if we're going to change um, and bring more resiliency and well-being and remember what's true about what unites us, that the people that do that are not only our global leaders, but our natural leaders of communities who come from so many different backgrounds. And so, so that's, those are some of the folks that are going to be joining me. Um, Brian Robinson being my first one. I'm almost going to tell you, he's almost going to start talking now. But before I do that, I want to also let you know that we're going to also be talking about resiliency skills. And these resiliency skills are based in neuroscience. And so some of this has to do with what does help us as human beings rebalance, recalibrate our nervous systems when we get bounced out of our better selves. And how can we cultivate that not only for ourselves? but for our family and our communities, especially during these challenging times. And that's one of the reasons why Brian Robinson is my very first guest, because, oh man, he is a professor emeritus from the University of North Carolina. He's a psychotherapist. He's an author Can you of over 40 books. I mean, I've written a book, and I'd have to tell you, it took me a long time. It was like having a baby. It's like um, digging ditches, yeah. <laughs> it's like digging ditches. So, um, but his most current book, which I love the title, is called Hashtag Chill, Turn Off Your Job and Turn On Your Life. I could say so much more about Brian, but I'm going to let him start talking right now because in these times right now, I think his book and his presence and his ideas are so very important to pay attention to. So, Brian, I'm going to ask you as we get started is, you know, what's on your mind at this present moment? Well, first thing I want to say to you is congratulations. This is the launch of your radio show, and I'm really excited for you, and I'm honored to be your first guest. So, Well, thank you. You know, I think you've done a lot of interviewing of a lot of people. You know, just so you know, he's also like a a writer for Forbes and Psychology Today, and oh my goodness, he's got (laughs) such a long um, resume. I couldn't, we'd spend the whole time talking about it if I said the whole thing to you right now, uh, Brian. Well, there's so much... um, that I want to share about resilience. Uh, the the one thing that uh, I'm going to start off saying uh, is, you know, we tend to think that things are going to get better. Life's going to be smooth. Life's a bowl of cherries. But the truth is, life is messy, bumpy, uh, unpredictable. And all you have to do now is switch on your TV or look at your laptop and see what's going on in the world. But the thing is, it's not what happens to us, it's what we do with what happens to us. And I happen to believe that everybody has the ability to be resilient. A lot of people don't know that, but they absolutely do. Um, And I know we're going to talk about a few of those skills, and you'll probably be talking about them throughout the segments that you're doing on your radio show. and I'll be uh, happy to share a little bit of speaking of life as being bumpy and messy and unpredictable. Um, I, uh, uh, there's a reason why I've written 40 books. There's, there's a reason why I write for Forbes and Thrive Global and Psychology Today. It's not accidental. Um, so let me start with, uh, I, I'm probably the only one in earshot right now who grew up in a dysfunctional family. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm but, sure there's no one listening here. That no, grew up I'm in sure. A, a dysfunctional Nobody family. but me. Besides me and you. I think <laughs> that's maybe right. there's the two of us, right? Okay. That's right. <laughs> it's probably and, uh, one of the reasons why we're doing this right now, Brian. Exactly. Just exactly. That it, to it, us. It, it, it can be a double-edged sword. For me, it has been because... Uh, the traumas that I experienced as a, as a little boy, not only watching my house burn to the ground when I was five years old uh, and being the, the soldier who had to go out and try to put the fire out at, at age five after playing in my sandbox, um, but living uh, from day to day in a violent alcoholic home, never knowing when my dad would come home and start tearing up the house. Um, but at a very young age, I instinctively took control. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did is I protected my little sister. I, I, I got her out of the way. I even learned over the years as, as the house was being destroyed and there were furniture breaking fights between my parents to close the drapes so the neighbors wouldn't see or hear what was going on. Um, uh, picking up whatnots and knickknacks and lamps. And I had a special hiding place for these objects that became so routine. I was so numb to it. I didn't even know I was being traumatized. And I would put these objects in a certain place 
As soon as I saw him step out of his 1958 Chevrolet and head toward the house, I knew what was coming. So it, it became a very uh, routine kind of predictability, even though it was chaotic. So, so Brian, can, yeah. I, can I ask you that, you know, when you tell me the story, you were just a little boy. Yeah. And uh, I had, I think, a similar experience trying to help mm. my younger siblings out of danger. Um, yes. So what do you think was, what, what happened? What was that? What was that little boy well, made of, that kind of grit that helped you survive that, uh, those well, experiences? You know, uh, the first words, according to my dear, loving grandmother, she was at home when I was born. I was supposed to go to the hospital, but I came early, apparently, according to her. And she said that the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. Some people say that's why I'm a little weird today. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but but it, uh, but seriously, she said the first words out of your mother's mouth was, please don't let my little baby die. Mm. And um, I, I uh, you, you know, talk about uh, that those words somehow resonated. That could be symbolic or metaphoric. Yes. But over the years, I learned that I had to be the little hero. I had to be strong. And I had to take charge to protect not only my mom, but my little sister. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I've always been, despite what happened, uh, an eternal optimist. Yeah. Uh, still, with with what's going on in the world, I'm I'm a, an optimist, which is really something that's that's carried me through. You know the tragedies that I've experienced. I know people have experienced worth worse, but uh, no matter what we experience, we don't want to minimize our own experiences. We want to validate them and 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 work on overcoming them. Um, and I'm wondering, too, about that. You know, when I started out by talking about what else is true, this in, yeah. uh, in ter- eternal optimist, because I think that I'm probably in that boat, too. Yeah. And when I think about some of the things that you and I have shared, because we've known each other for a while, mm-hmm. that we had some difficult things happen. But I, you mentioned your grandma. And I want to yeah. kind of just highlight that for a second, because as we were talking this morning, mm-hmm. we were saying, I was saying, oh, I have this picture behind me, and it's, it's an image that reminds me of my grandma. And then, yeah. you know, share with the audience what you were yeah. telling me about your grandma. And, but I think it's important for us to talk about what they both represented to us, because I think that could have been part of what helped us yeah. both in our yeah. childhoods. And, and we call these resources in, in the work that we do. Uh, I was amazed because I have a, a beautiful picture of my grandmother on my bedside. When she was a young woman, she was a beautiful woman. I didn't know her at that age, but I knew her as an older woman. But she was always a resource for me of calm, nurturing, loving. And on cold nights, we would cuddle up under a blanket and she would mm-hmm. tell me stories and say, someday we're, I'm going to have a farm and you're going to come live with me because she knew what I was living through. And we we're going to have horses and yeah. pigs. And I would say, what else are we going to have and she would keep going and then before I knew it I was asleep but those are cherished memories that uh, early on gave me a belief that there is another world out there that someday I want to be a part of now yeah. I do want to mention unconditional love I mean it sounds oh, like it's uncondi- unconditional love unconditional love because you know, I had a I had a similar grandma and <laughs> you know, my, gra- my grandmother immigrated from El Salvador uh-huh. and uh, I, we used to call her Abuelita Linda which is a beautiful grandmother uh-huh. and and when I would get to escape to her house too, yeah. And what we would do together is we would make lemonade. She ah. had a big old lemon tree in her backyard, and we would mm. pick lemons off that lemon tree, and she would make the most wonderful, delicious lemonade with too much sugar. Which so Elaine, what do you notice? Of. Oh my! What do you notice inside right now? <laughs> oh my goodness! Look at that! You're doing the skills with yeah. me. I just feel. Oh my goodness! I just feel this great warmth in my yeah. body, and just yeah. almost. I can almost taste the lemonade, actually. That's right. So, thank That's you right. for inviting me to sense that, sure. Brian. Brian's sure. been trained in these resiliency skills. That's right. That Elaine wonderful? trained me well. <laughs> I sure did. Well, anyway, so go ahead. So, continue. Well, but I just wanted to kind of point that out. I just, yeah. that unconditional love is important, especially when we're growing up with some chaos around yeah. us. That's right. Um, it, it became routine as a child, uh, not only these uh episodes of uh, violence and and, uh, disruption and unpredictability. Um, There's something called GIA that I have later learned, Global High Intensity Activation, 
which is when your nervous system is not fully developed as a child and you're bombarded with these kind of uh, traumas, um, you're, you instinctively have to have something to offset that. And for me, interestingly enough, it was writing. I would go into my bedroom to get away from the craziness, and I would make up these stories, these little kids my age, um, I was about 10 at that time, and I would get them into trouble and get them out of trouble. And I didn't know it, but now I understand as a psychotherapist, I w it was my way of controlling an unwieldy life that was chaotic, that I had no control over. And I brought that forward. Writing has been my best friend. It's been my security. It's been my stability. And uh, so it's, that's one of the reasons I suppose I've written 40 books and I write for Forbes and Psychology Today and Thrive Global. And uh, I'm writing the memoir that I'm talking a little bit about now um, because even still, it takes me to a, a place of serenity and peace and happiness and joy. I love it. Um, the, the flip side of that, though, is, uh, and Elaine knows this, and this is one of the topics I've written about, I became a relentless workaholic. So the very thing that saved me uh, started to take me down in my adult life as a professor at the university and working in the community and doing research and publishing and uh, advising students and teaching classes. There's no, there are no boundaries around that. So that um, it, it became a real problem in my personal life. One of the first books I wrote was called Work Addiction, and it's uh, about my life, and it's about what it really is. A lot of people tease about workaholism, but if you look underneath, it's not any different than alcoholism, drug addiction, or food addiction, because it is a stabilizer. It uh, uh, helps you assuage anxiety. It helps you feel in control even when you're not, and uh, you can get high from it. Uh, when uh, I, I'm married now, and when we were young and we would go to the beach with friends, my spouse would check uh, my suitcase to make sure I wasn't taking work because I always did, because the thought of not having my drug was horrifying, to tell you the truth. Now, that may sound strange to people, but when you're a true workaholic, it's like you don't have your bottle or you don't have your food or you don't have your heroin if you don't have your work. So uh, after years of this, I learned to sneak work into my genes or under the spare tire, just like an alcoholic sneaking a drink. So we would get to the beach and everybody would say, oh, let's go walk on the beach. And I would stretch and yawn and say, I think I'm going to take a nap. And everybody thought that was so cool. He's going to actually relax on this vacation. Well, as soon as I saw people out of sight, I pulled out my university project and I worked feverishly, just like an alcoholic sneaking a drink. I call this work infidelity, by the way, which is something I've discovered a lot of workaholics do. Um, and then when everybody, uh, I, when I heard them coming back laughing and chatting, I pretended I laid down on the bed and pretended I'm been asleep. Now, when I say that, that sounds really sick because I was sick. I don't work that way anymore. I still do a lot of things. But I'm not driven, I'm drawn. And that's the difference. Mm. Can I and, ask you a question sure. about that? Yes. Is that we've certainly heard now since COVID that yes. many of us are working at home. Yes. And I've certainly heard more than one person say, well, it's really hard because there's never mm. an end point to the that's work. That's right. It's that's like right. I don't have that office that I'm driving to and then coming back home. That's right. So, so actually saying that it's kind of cultivating yeah. an atmosphere where workaholism can really be part of what's happening. Yes, and it blurs the lines. And yes. a lot of the research coming out is saying that people are burning out working at home because there's chocolate cake in the fridge or maybe bourbon. There's uh, laundry that needs to be done. There are children in the other room that need help with school. Um, and so this has become a huge problem. The lines are blurred. And uh, so it's up to each and every one of us to decide what those lines are. One of the things I always say, even before remote working was the norm, if you're working at home, and I, this is what I do now, you want to make sure you have a special place where you work, not on the kitchen table. Um, if you have a, I have an office in the bottom of my home, which is away from everything else. I leave that place just as if I'm leaving my office across town and I, 
I imagine I can't go in there after a certain hour, usually five o'clock. And that gives me an automatic boundary, but everybody doesn't have that kind of arrangement. But uh, thinking about at a certain time at the end of the day, we have to set our own boundaries. So it's for each one of us to figure out what those are. Otherwise, we will find ourselves working around the clock and not being able to turn it off. And that's we lose the, our sense of balance and our and our mental so, health. So it's really important to be more mindful of like start times and end That's times right. and and how much time can you that now go spend with your family? And I know that everyone has the luxury of space where they're living. And I know I've heard these um, uh, responses as well, saying I don't have any space. Yeah. And so one person said, "Creative liberty to me," but I purchased a screen and I have mm-hmm. a little place in the kitchen and it has a yeah. screen around me. They know not to bother me. That's right. And then I pull That's that great. screen down. Yeah. And I can now go be with the family in the in the yeah. part of the house because everybody's in the same area. Yeah. So That's I think right. that we we want to be mindful that not everybody has space, but That's we can right. sometimes try to create that space. Or somebody told me it yeah. was in the bathroom. You know, they go in the bathroom and close the door, and they sit yeah. into and they have a chair in the in the bathtub. Yeah. So I thought, wow. well, I mean, people are pretty creative in thinking mm-hmm. about different things that they can do to kind of bring those little moments of those resiliency pauses because that's yeah. what I think we're talking about too. That's right. That's right. So. Um, over the years, uh, I wanted to mention something that uh, many of the listeners might know about, and I know you do, Elaine, and it's called a growth mindset. And uh, it's probably one of the most powerful things that I know of that we can do, and that is to think about we often are hardwired to get carried away with a, the situation or the incident that brings us misery or unhappiness or fear, um, and we overlook what's on the inside. And so the the whole idea of of bringing the resilience tools is what, how can I reframe this situation? For example, I had a man that I worked with many years ago who built skyscrapers, literally. He was a multi, multi multi-millionaire, maybe a billionaire even. He came storming into my office one day. I can't tell you what he said. But because it's, you know, it, it, some people wouldn't want to hear the words, but I said, what's going on? And he said, I have to pay a half a million dollars in taxes. Now, I don't usually ask this question, but I could see what the session was going to be about. And I said, well, so how much did you make this year? And he grumbled 10 or 15 million. This was a rich man living an impoverished life. We all have a choice of what we want to look at and how we want to frame what's happening. You can focus on the thorns or the roses. You can focus on $500,000 in taxes or $10 million in revenue. And almost any situation that we experience, no matter how dire the circumstances, we know this even from Holocaust survivors, that we are in charge of how our life is going to unfold. Life itself, no matter how messy and scary and unpredictable it is, is not going to determine how I live my life. Now, that's not an easy thing to accomplish, and sometimes it's like swimming upstream, but it's one of the things that I learned that I am not a victim of what happened to me anymore. Um, I am a survivor, and that changed everything for me, and that's one of the reasons I've been as successful as I have. If if you want to call it success. I don't mean that just in terms of career, but I mean in terms of my own mental health uh, and my own uh, work-life balance that I've I've been able to create and and my marriage and my friends and my life. Uh, So no matter what happens to us, we can, we don't have to live in that, that place. And we're all, I think, resilient. Basically, we have to just get in touch with it. That's the key. Oh, that, I just love what you just said, because I've heard people sometimes say, I don't know if resilience is possible for me, uh, but I, I want to say a little bit about neuroscience, and we're going to talk yeah. more about this. We're, it was, we're almost time for our break, okay. uh, that there's a little phrase called brain cells that fire together, wire together. Yes. What you pay attention to grows, and what you just said is if you cultivate that other part, that it will expand and grow. That's so right. even if some of you are sitting there saying, I feel pretty hopeless today, yeah. I just want you all to know that you know Brian and I can attest to our lives to say mm-hmm. there's ways that we can um, pour water on that hopefulness that surrounds us if we start paying more attention to it. So we're going to take a little break, and then when we return, 
uh, Ryan Robinson is going to now going to interview me now, and I'm going to say, I guess, some things. He's got some questions up his sleeve. And so I just want you all to know that you are listening to Resiliency Within on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, and we will be back in just a few moments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine Miller-Karis book, Building Resiliency to Trauma. The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hello, here we are again. This is Elaine miller Karras, Resiliency Within on Voice America, and we are talking to Dr. Brian Robinson, who's just given us a wonderful um, background about why resiliency is so important to him. And this is our launch of our show. And so this second part of the show, I'm going to turn it over to Brian to interview me so that you all will get to know a little bit about what I've been up to over the last number of years of my life, which are, are, are getting are getting longer. I have a longer life these days, you know, many years. So go ahead, Brian, whatever you'd like to ask me, I'll try to answer. So I think what I'd like to do is start with the present and go back instead of start backwards and come forward. Um, uh, Simply because I think there are a lot of people who are listening right now who have observed what has been going on in the in our country and in the world, Uh, not only the pandemic, uh, but also uh, watching live the insurrection on the Capitol. And um, you and I were talking briefly about this this concept of vicarious trauma. Uh, We know people are traumatized as as I was, and a lot of people are directly uh, when they experience violence and and so for abuse. Uh, but there's something called vicarious trauma when you observe something through a medium like uh, TV or your devices like laptop or cell phone that you don't expect. And you don't even realize you're being traumatized. So I, I thought that would be a good place to start. And then we're going to go back. But I'd like for you, Elaine, to talk a little bit about what are some skills that all of us can use today uh, after after the show ends that can help us get through these difficult times? Um, I think one of the most important things I've learned, I, w- I want to t- say that I've created two different models of intervention. One's called the community resiliency model, and the other is the trauma resiliency model. The trauma resiliency model is more focused towards um, psychotherapists, and that's where I first met you, Brian, because you took our training. Mm-hmm. But the community resiliency model is really for the well for the world. And it's a set of six very simple wellness skills. And it's about mindful attention to the present moment. And it pays attention. And I actually already introduced you all to those uh, to a skill, our second skill, which is called building resources. So one of the things that we can do, and I know that I've had to do this many times, is if we're seeing images that are 
we're noticing that we're upset, we're feeling distress in our body. Maybe we even, I've heard from a lot of people since uh, last week that they haven't been able to sleep. Yeah. So this yeah. is what, this is knocking us out of what we call our resilient zone or our okay zone. Mm. And so we're not in that sense of well-being, we're in the sense of distress. And some of us are like, I'm so angry, I'm, you know, I'm yelling and screaming at maybe my family I don't mean to, or some of us like are disconnected. I felt a little depressed, actually, and I don't usually feel depressed. Yeah. You know, like going, well, what's happening? But then I remembered what else was true. Because of COVID, I have my, my daughter and my son-in-law and my granddaughter living with us. And my granddaughter reminds me of what else is true in the world. That's a, she's a resource. Mm-hmm. And when I think about her and I spend time with her, I really pay attention to what's happening in my body. That's the mindful attention. And I notice a deeper breath. I notice my, even right now as I'm talking about it, I can feel my, my muscles relax. I can feel um, that not the sense of stress that I felt watching television, for example. So what's important, what I've learned what's important is that if we're so focused on, let's say, watching television right now, that stress can build, 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 and get so layered inside of us that we feel like we want to explode. The saturation. The saturation, or we're going to disconnect. So what's so important for all of us to remember of what else is true, um, we actually, it's very similar to the name of your book. Uh, There's an app that has been developed through the Trauma Resource Institute, which is a a nonprofit, which I co-founded in 2006, and the uh, we have this wonderful app, and it's called iChill, um, and iChill has all these resiliency skills that you can cultivate. You can, if you have a smartphone, you can download the app, you can listen to it. It's completely free. Again, I'm going to say it's iChill, um, and it's also, we have iChillapp.com if you don't have a smartphone, so you can listen to it on the internet. So, I think what's important is that you spend moments for these resiliency pauses and and also things simple things sometimes walking going outside and just feeling your feet as they're hitting the ground and being mindful oh i can sense my feet in fact as i'm even talking about it i, I kind of stood up and i'm a little straighter because i'm remembering i was walking outside in my backyard this morning and i can sense that breath so movements are very important having a sense of our body in the present moment we call it grounding can be a very important thing but the other the other thing that i'd like to say to you too is pay attention to those little moments and they can be small where you're feeling a little uplifted and you know and it doesn't have to be you know you know where i feel uplifted i know this is going to sound silly brian i like doing the dishes i love feeling the water on my hands we ha- i have to do the dishes a lot around our house do you know when i feel uplifted when I hear a hammer off in the distance or oh a my saw, gosh, look because at that. somebody's creating, you, something's being yes, built. It's exactly. resilience. Yeah. So yeah. those little moments is if you can pause and notice the sensations connected to those little moments that you feel a little bit better. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, a, a huge thing like, oh, right. you know, world peace and how we mm. cultivate world peace. It can be something very small. That's right. Um, yeah, and what you're really talking about, I'm, I'm going to throw a word out here that you and I talk about a lot uh, that some people may not be familiar with. It's neuroplasticity, yes. that we can literally change the neuropathways in our brain by doing these very simple things. It doesn't, they're so simple that it's almost like we don't see the water we're swimming in, but they're powerful. They have a powerful impact on uh, being able to change uh, the trauma. Uh, uh, and well, that and that's when you were talking about how, you know, about the resiliency that you cultivated in your life in spite of that's the difficult right. things. Yeah. And just so that you know, neuroplasticity simply means the brain can change. Yes. So any of you that may feel despondent or despair thinking, oh, nothing's ever going to change inside of me. You can shift that. It can change. And I also, I often use the a metaphor of a garden. You know, most of us around the world have gardens and we, we might plant some vegetables, maybe some flowers. And we also have weeds. Weeds can be medicinal. But if we only watered the weeds in our garden, what would happen to those wonderful vegetables and flowers? They wouldn't flourish in the same way. And so I think that, you know, weeds are a part of our life. Distress, despair is part of our life. And it's not that we want to ignore that or avoid it, but it's saying, okay, yes, that's true but also this is true. And right now in in the United States, and those of you that may be listening to us in other parts of the world as well, is that start paying attention, even in small ways, to things that make you feel a little bit better because they tend to grow. Yeah. 
but and, and, and sometimes you just have to have the, ex- the experience of it. It's not just what we think. That's it's right. not just what we feel, but it's what yeah. we sense. It is in our body. Yeah. And I often say the body has an elegant design and that when we pay attention to our well-being, that it just expands. And that's my hope for every single person that's listening to us today and so, to have that little, that little spark of hope. And so when we uh, learn, and some of this is a, is a learning experience, I think, to look for the opportunity opportunity and the difficulty, the solution, instead of focusing just on the problem, look for the upside of a downside situation. After a while, uh, using that term resilient zone, it, it widens over time as, as we learn to do that, and it becomes a, more of an automatic process. It does. And even though, you know, part of life, you know, it's not that we're going to be in that okay zone or that resilient zone always that there's going to be times and I know for me personally that since COVID-19 there have been times when I've been bumped out of my resilient zone more often and I tend to go into the high zone rather than the low zone more often but you know what I know how to get back in I know not I don't have to stay out there I can I can sense the well-being I can go for a walk I can think about my my resources I can I really think that this whole aspect of sensing what's happening on the inside and if I sense distress is there something that I can think about that might help me sense some well-being that I don't have to be in that track of only sensing the despair yeah. that something else can be true inside of me and I and I think what I often say when I do trainings is um one of the most important things I've learned as I've traveled around the world is when we can learn to tell the difference between sensations of distress and well-being, uh, something starts to emerge, which is a choice of what we're going to pay attention to. You and I couldn't change the fact that we had families that had suffering and struggles in them and that we were impacted as a result of it. But what if we could learn, even if we're living in difficult situations like many of our, us are living right now, well, maybe when I go into a certain part of my house or I go into the backyard, I can pay attention, like you said, to that sound of the hammer in the distance. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I can have a little moment of that resiliency pause mm. where I can feel better. Because guess what? One resiliency pause can have another one and another one, and then those can start to also grow and expand. And I think that, you know, it's so funny because we've never talked about this. We've talked many times, Brian, but we've never talked about this shared optimism we have, Mm -hmm. which uh, has kind of, you know, when I think about what's happened to me from the suffering I've had in my life, Mm -hmm. that there's this optimism that has also grown out of what's happened to me, similar to you. That brings up then the the question the other question I want to ask you, and that is, tell us a little bit about those early years and how that's contributed to where you are today. Well, I think it's similar to what you said. You know, my my dad was an alcoholic, although I have to say that he also got recovery. In the last year of his life, he was a very grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I think what I learned from my childhood was that um, that something else was true, that I had that escape to my grandma's house, but also that I think that what I learned was I was also could be really good in a crisis. So what did I do? I became a social worker. And where did, where did I love to work? I love to work in hospitals, which were one crisis after another. But I found that I could have this very much an equilibrium and a, and a calm when everything was chaotic. That's right. chaos around people. So that was, I felt was a gift. So instead of, like you said, instead of saying, oh, I was victimized by that. Oh my goodness, I survived that. Not only did I survive that, but I took something out of that, the difficulties of my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I think I've thrived as a result of it. And that I've been able to, you know, through the Trauma Resource Institute and through the models I've created is really take this all over the world. Like we've taken the models, not only the Trauma Resource Institute, but collaborators with us. We've taken it to over a hundred countries around the world because we all have a nervous system that is designed in a very similar way. And when we start to cult elegantly designed (laughs) that whether I've gone to Africa and I'm in Tanzania or I'm in, I'm in um, uh, parts of Northern Ireland, or if I'm in uh, China, we are designed the same way, 
I have learned to respect our differences and our different cultures that have been so, um, have enlivened me and given me more vitality. But then I say, what do we have in common? What, what unifies us? And I think right now in our world, what unifies us? What can we come together that we can agree on? And if we are in that resilient zone, if we're in that space of our well-being, what I've also seen all over the world, which has been so exciting, is that self-compassion grows. How many times if we've grown up in difficult situations have we said, oh, I've got to do this better? Or if I just work harder, if I write one more book, maybe I'll be loved. Mm. You know, those kinds of things that we can say, if I do one more training, maybe. But if we start and we start to cultivate this and to know that from the, the difficulties of our life, something else has happened. And so, you know, survivors and thrivers can come out of adversity. You know, as, you're, as you're talking, I'm uh, suddenly remembering uh, Mr. Rogers. And I remember, you know, when uh, Reagan was shot, uh, the attempted assassination, it was shown over and over and over on the media and it, people were traumatized by it. But what Mr. Rogers did is to, for the children, he said, look at the people who are helping the president. He really focused on it's, He didn't water the weeds. He watered the flowers, as to yes. use your metaphor. And that's something we can all do. It's not about putting our head in the sand, but it's all just bringing what we, you and I would call the parasympathetic nervous system to balance out the, the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. Um, and we can do that on a, a simple, you know, uh, basis if we're stuck in traffic and in a hurry to get somewhere or in a, in a major catastrophe is to know that's where our power is to be able to do that. And we're equally designed for that just as we are to respond to a crisis in a, in a, a positive or negative way. So um, I like your metaphor of watering the weeds instead of watering the flowers. We do it automatically because we have a built-in negativity bias that Mother Nature gave us to survive. And once we realize we can, we can change that with our widening our resilience zone, we can focus on other things. And that power grows as we learn to do that. Right. And I think that's what, you know, I think of anything that we leave, you know, when we're talking about, you know, what we really want resiliency within to be about is how we can cultivate that. And I think some of the guests that will be coming, um, for example, next week, um, there's um, a veteran of the Iraq War who was suicidal, who had written her suicide note, was ready to go. And she discovered that she could start cultivating her resilience and it made a huge difference in her life. And so how can we, for those of you that may be feeling despair, how can we start to cultivate more of that resilience that can maybe shift um, that, again, that, that suffering that we're experiencing, not to not say that it's there, but to, again, I know it's, it sounds like a redundancy, but what else is true? Mm-hmm. What else is true? Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Yes. Here we is, are. Yeah. This has been, this has been a wonderful experience to be with you and, and to talk about some of this, especially given what's going on in the country right now. And just to remind everybody that, uh, we're probably going to be seeing these uh, reruns and the saturation on the media, but we can turn off the TV. We can listen to soft music. There are other things we can do. Uh, and we can also, as you said, monitor what's going on inside of us. One of the simplest things that I do for myself and with clients is, is ask folks, and some people might want to do this after the show, take one minute, just 60 seconds, and just sit and listen to as many different sounds as you can. And then after you've done that, don't try to memorize the sounds. Just focus on as many different ones. It could be your gurgling stomach, ambient noise outside, like a traffic or airplane, a heating system. And as you do that, just notice after a minute what's going on on the inside. And And things shift, don't they, Brian? Oh, yes. In one minute. In, in one, one minute. minute. And if you, if you can do that in a minute, imagine what, five minutes or exactly. ten minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you've just described is one of what we call in the community resiliency model um, a help now strategy or a reset now strategy. There's actually ten of them that we've, come, we've put together, but there could be much more. But one of them is paying attention to the sounds. Mm-hmm. But it also could be also pay attention to the temperature in the room. Yeah. Is it cool? Is it warm? It could be... Uh, counting backwards from 10, uh-huh. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, sometimes that can all of a sudden help settle you a little bit. 
it can be sometimes for me, if you're feeling a lot of energy, and I actually use this a lot with kids, is pushing against the wall with your hands and yeah. pushing against with force a little bit. Yeah. And you can feel some of that, that energy leaving you. Yeah, you can. Uh, so that I it, love that one. I and have you have you used that one too, Brian? I do something. the wall. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've had to yeah. use that a little bit these last week. Okay, get yeah, this energy absolutely. out of my out of my body. But you know, it 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 doesn't have to be fancy. Some of the strategies, right? And it brings it us into simple. the present moment. Exactly. Uh, and our brain wants to go into the future, worry to get ready for what's going to happen next, or regrets of the past. And it's really training our brain to stay in the here and now. And that's where our peace and serenity and calm and clarity reside. And as you're saying that, when we're in that present moment, we're not thinking out there in the future and we're that's not right. thinking out there in the past. Right. We're right here. Yeah. Like right now, all of us have this moment together yeah. as we're talking. And as we're talking about these ways that we might be able to restore that equilibrium inside of us. That's right. You know, as, as we only have a few minutes left, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and maybe I can share this too, because we talk about resiliency. <laughs> you know, I, I asked many people this question. When I was in Northern Ireland not long ago, um, we were starting a resiliency conf- you know, uh, training. And one of the uh, people came up to me and said, well, you know, we have this big um, a billboard in our in our neighborhood and it says if anybody calls you resilient run the other way it's just the <laughs> government trying not to give us the services that we deserve so huh. resilience so for some people can necessarily wow. not be a positive word That's it can be a dirty yeah. word so i uh, think it's important that maybe on this first show i'm going to give you my definition i've had many definitions of resiliency and if you put it into google for example i think they come up with thousands of Mm -hmm. definitions, but I'm going to ask you in a minute what your definition is, um, Brian, but mine is resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of our lived experience. So that when I talk about resiliency within, that's what I'm talking about in this show. So how about you, Brian? What What is your definition of resiliency. One way uh, I would describe it is stick-to-itiveness because I have this part, as many people do, this little voice in my head that says, you can't do that. Uh, and I know I can. And uh, so I talk to that little voice and say, I know you think I can't do it, but and that's okay. You can think that, but just watch because I'm here now. And when I say to that part of me, I'm here now, I'm talking about the Brian Robinson who is of a certain age, who's grown, who's smart, who understands the world. And I'm speaking to that little boy who didn't know what to do and was trying to figure everything out on his own without adult guidance. Well, I'm here now and I can do this for him. And that that gets me through stick-to-itiveness. And I know, uh, he doesn't know, but I know that I can pretty much do whatever I set my mind to do. Yeah, the other I thing think, I would say about yeah. that, too, that uh, I've learned when something happens that's unpleasant or uh, that I, I didn't want to happen or it's unexpected is to ask myself, how is this happen- happening for me, not to me? I'm not a victim. So how can I turn this inside out and look at it as a learning experience? And how can I grow from this? So that gives you some distance from it, doesn't it? It's not it like it's me, on your lap and it's not, you wouldn't become so defensive about something. It gives me the wide angle something. lens. It gives me right. the wide angle lens. Yeah, the big right. picture. And that wide, I, that wide lens, I think right now, yeah. is really important. When I think about the United States of America and think that we've been around for a long time yes. and we've had a pretty strong democracy. That's right. I think, okay, yes, we're having difficulties now, but we've also had stick-to-itiveness, to use your, yeah, your term. Brian, yes. And you, you know what? I learned that from uh, Erin Brockovich. Uh, if you know the movie, Erin Brockovich. Yes, I do. Uh, she is the epitome of stick-to-itiveness, and that's a word her parents taught her when she was young to get through hard times. And uh, I think it's a great way to talk about resilience. But you're right. Our history, I think, you know what's happening is we're going to see our nation and our democracy strengthened by what we're seeing right now. I really believe that. And you and I are very optimistic, and I, yep. I believe the same thing, even though we know that the suffering is not over. That's right. And that we have more that we are going to be um, having yes. to go through. That's but right. But I'm, I'm hoping that all of you that have been listening to us in these, this hour can remember, I guess, the optimism that we both have. Mm. And to remember that what else is true as you, you, know, you go through your week. 
But I also want to thank you so much. I'm, they're telling me we only have a few minutes left, you know, uh, Brian, <laughs> is that I just thank you so much, my friend, for coming on this launch of the show. Your wisdom has been something that has inspired me, which you have advised me in the past. And I thank goodness that I came across you in my journey of life. Uh-huh. So I know this is not our last conversation oh, that no. we'll ever have. You and I have a mutual admiration society. Yes, together. we do. I feel the same way about you. Well, and um, I want to remind people too. Yeah. Can you tell people how they can get a hold of your book? Oh, sure. Yes, um, please. The book is available in bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com, um, and on my website, BrianRobinsonBooks.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N RobinsonBooks.com. You can actually go on and take the chill test. It'll tell you how chill you are or are not, and it'll score it automatically electronically for you. And you can read some of my columns from Forbes and Psychology Today. All that's free. And it gives you more information about the work I'm doing and where I'm going to be in the future. So, so Brian, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to our, our very first show. And again, I want to remind you that this is our Resiliency Within. My name is Elaine miller Karras. And please remember what else is true during this, what I think is probably going to be a tough week for some of us. Remember what else is true and devote some time to your resiliency. So thank you so much for being with us and having this time together. And, and Brian, um, I'm going to I'm going to invite you to come back again if I get to do more of these shows oh, because I think we have much more to talk about in the, oh, in the yes. future as well. So Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that as well. Great. So thank you all. And um, I will see you next time, um, which is the 18th at 1 p.m. And we will have a wonderful guest who will talk to us about her resiliency and how she's gotten through some very difficult times. So thank you all for coming. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 